it's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. It's Tuesday, February 21st. This is episode three, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How are you doing, Ian? I'm doing well, Brennan. How are you? I'm good, despite the fact this is about the 18th time we've recorded this opening, and I feel like shooting myself. <laughs> Don't do that. And then jumping in front of a truck. Oh, no, because that'll really shorten the show up. <laughs> <laughs> but we might get ratings. True. Good, good point. So this weekend, my wife and I, we spent a, a free night in this resort outside of town. We got it when she bought her new car. Nice. Yeah, it, well, I mean, it, it, that's what we thought too, at least at first. Oh. It looks like the kind of corrupt old folks home that a creepy doctor who performs experiments on the residents <laughs> kind of has run in his family for the last 150 years. Might end up in a really dark version of Scooby-Doo, something like that. So, uh, something along those yeah, lines, nice, yeah, yeah. There's nice. that new movie coming out, A Cure for Wellness, and it, it seems like to be along those lines. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed your stay on a set. <laughs> oh, good God. It, it had all the, all the structural integrity of a set because... Lying in bed, chatting, all of a sudden I realized I can hear the upstairs neighbors peeing. Oh, and I'm sure other things too. Uh, thankfully, no. Oh, okay. The, the general age range of this place was such that for most of them, sex is a dim memory that they resent other people for enjoying. <laughs> uh, on that topic, tonight we're going to be talking about where ghosts come from, and, and I promise you it's going to be graphic. We talked about this. All right, it's not going to be graphic at all, much to my great disappointment. We'll, we'll put it this way. When a mommy ghost and a daddy ghost love each other very stop. much. Stop. <laughs> Can I at least make a boobies joke? No, oh. you just did, and don't do it again. <laughs> Such a killjoy. <laughs> now, of course, the argument can be made that there are exactly zero kinds of ghosts because there is no life after death or spirit dimension, and we're all just having micro-seizures. But since this is the ghost story, guys, and not screaming into the abyss, <laughs> uh, we're going to proceed on the assumption that ghosts are real and can be classified. Yay! Uh, personally, I have a difficult time believing in life after death because the idea of further mysteries to explore beyond life is just, really, I, I think it's too appealing. The, the materialist worldview, I think, is powerful for that reason. The idea that the boundaries of existence extend only so far as the things evident before you, it fits in well with the fatalistic and, frankly, I think, Victorian idea that our so-called savage animal nature is our truest identity. True. The, the idea of compassion, love, and, and, hell, even consciousness in the animal world is only really beginning to enter into our popular awareness. So by and large, we still think that beyond the gates of human society, uh, it's only brutality and carnage, when in actual fact, there's a, there's a breadth of life equal to our own. Mm -hmm. For example, mice require play in order to be happy. Scrub jays, among others, mourn their dead, and some elephants who lose their fathers early in life tend to grow up with the same aggression problems as young people who suffer the same loss. Mm -hmm. They can even suffer post-traumatic stress disorder. So when we consider the possibility of life after death, we kind of have to overcome that ingrained belief that life is only what we can see, and that underpinning what we can see is this binary kill-or-be-killed animal mentality. And what we do see, especially if we're plugged into popular culture, is pain disappointment and these distant gods of celebrity who pay cursory attention to us if they pay any at all. A anyone who challenges that too is, is called naive and told, well, this is the way it's always been. So over time, it just becomes impossible to believe there's more to the human experience, let alone that there might be a spiritual existence to complement it. So when I say the idea of life after death is too appealing, it's because all my life I've been taught by the world around me to expect the worst possible outcome, despite the worst possible never really outcoming. I I'm sure I'm not the only one. 
You know, I, I get what you're saying. I also think, though, that um, even in, in Bible times, they were talking about things that were unseen. Um, they warned about witches. They warned about things flying by night. This is definitely part of the human condition, but I think you're very correct in your thinking that when people start to talk about spiritual or mystical, that generally society will dismiss them or uh, think them simple or, or, you know, some such. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's a bit of a, a hump to get over. On the flip side of that, the biggest things we're seeing now in movies and television, and have been for quite a while, are things about the paranormal, um, mysticism, witchcraft, vampires. Mm. They're all, well, I know, not the sparkly kind, but they are all uh, definitely gaining ground in popular culture. Right. And, and I, I, I don't know, though, is that really indicative of, of sort of a, a raising of awareness or a, sort of a raising of consciousness, or is it just that... This is the shit people are buying right now, so we're going to feed it to them. Yeah, no. A, bu- a bunch of dickheads running around in the dark going, oh, I think I heard a knocking. But, uh, no, I think that that's very tied, very true. I think that's tied into that. But we also. We just lost like 30 listeners, too, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> ghost hunting is awesome. Hey, yeah. It's great. Goes to an ancient German castle, talks to the ghost in English. You know, on that subject, we did a fucking ghost hunt in Chicago years, a couple years ago, Nick right. and I. And they, I won't say the name of the company because it was bullshit. But. We did this thing where we, you go into this warehouse that they rent part of right. at night. And I mean, a warehouse in Chicago is scary anyway. Yeah. It need to be <laughs> but they, they have one of those stupid spirit boxes that just spins the dials. So you kind of get like the random story, uh, random words. And, and then they have you going around with dowsing rods trying to suss out what kind of spirits are there. Right. And we, Nikki and I, my wife, we were, we were part of a, I'm going to refer to her as Nikki now because calling her my wife is weird. <laughs> I'm worried I'm going to slip up and say my first wife. Yeah, or the wife. The ball and chain. Yeah, there you go. So we, we were part of a small group and we were walking around this this warehouse with these dowsing rods. And, you know, you'd say, are there spirits here? And the rods would cross or right. they wouldn't cross. Right. Cross the rods twice, which kind of sounds like a command that a gay porn director would give. <laughs> cross the rods twice. Stop but yeah, so we're doing this thing and, and we, we get a spirit, something's moving the rods. You know, we ask, how old are you? And the thing says, you know, 150 years old. And so I'm thinking, okay, so 150 years, we're talking Plains Indians at this point. Right. And, uh, you know, so spell your name. The, you know, the, the, the idiot we're with says, well, spell your name. And, and the, the rods are just kind of wavering. It's to start with A, to start with B. And I said, if this is a fucking Indian, are they going to know our goddamn alphabet? Mm. Furthermore, how are they even talking to us right now? How do they right. under, I mean, maybe you can argue that, okay, so intentionality is visible beyond the veil. You can just, right. I can, they can see into my, my white devil brain <laughs> and pick out my intentions and what I mean. But at this point I'm saying, use a language you never spoke. Use the symbols of a language you never spoke to spell your to name. To communicate with us. And at the end of the tour, I mentioned this to the, to the guide and he looked at me like I was the world's biggest idiot. Oh, he doesn't speak English, eh? Yeah. What? Just because it's in the Midwest, even your f***ing ghosts all speak English? <laughs> are you serious? I know. But I, I think people who are going on these sort of adventures or trips aren't really looking for authenticity. They're looking for action. They're idiots. That, well, you know, <laughs> I, I have been on an investigation one time. It wasn't really my thing. I, um, I'm more about the history and the mystery of ghosts, but... Um, it was interesting, and there were definitely things happening. Right. Um, but for me, it's kind of like, I don't know that I need that kind of proof. Yeah. Um, I'm just willing to sort of be open and suss it out for myself. And if a piece of electronics is going to help with that, great. But, you know, I, 
I don't need that. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about investigations later, uh, you know, and, and sort of what they, the expectations of that and, and how that ties into what's really being contacted in right. these cases, if, if anything. Right. I, I'm, I'm, and I'm looking forward to that. So we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the various kinds of uh, ghosts people believe in and uh, whether or not I think they're stupid. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So our topic today is ghosts, as as Brennan mentioned. And today I wanted to really talk about the four basic types of hauntings. Um, some of these I've experienced. Some of these I have not. Um, one of the first ones is residual. This was kind of like dense in the spiritual atmosphere, usually from something that's happened or um, there's been a, a pretty dramatic incident or something where the energy has just sort of been frozen and it gets trapped. This is almost like a, a CD on repeat, uh, a, a loop. Um, you may see an apparition. It will do the same thing every time. Um, you can talk to it or call out to it or try and stop it. It won't even notice you. It'll, it, it'll just do what it's going to do. Like all the girls in high school. Exactly like your experience with all the girls in high school. Um, and there's no sentience, no intelligence. They are just sort of like all the girls in high school. <laughs> Oh, so bitter. Um, but they're That's right. just, they're just doing what they're doing. And, and when this happens, um, I'm not sure that there's really any point to uh, trying to get rid of that. I mean, people will, there's, you know, there's a lot of different schools of thought on that. Um, if it's not doing anything or disturbing anything, why not just leave it alone? True enough. I, I know the one theory about where residual hauntings come from is the idea of a, they call it the stone tape theory. Right. The stone tape theory was put forward by an English parapsychologist named T.C. Lethbridge. And essentially it, his idea was that certain stones can retain psychic energy. Oh, wow. And that that is what causes these, these repeating things, that they kind of record events on a, on a micro level and play them back. I don't know the science behind it. Kind of sounds silly because wouldn't castles then constantly be replaying most essentially Game of Thrones? I mean, <laughs> well, but I think it depends on on um, what's released when the incident occurs. Um, I had friends who lived; they rented a farm for a while in Alberta. I think it was the fifteenth or sixteenth of the month. Every single month, they'd be in their house, they'd be getting ready to go to bed. It'd be around ten o'clock, and they would hear a gunshot in uh, what they would call sort of the dooryard, right? Where you park your car close to the house. Sort of the dooryard? A dooryard, it's a thing, it's a word, it's it's regional. They would have this experience where same date, same time, once a month there'd be a gunshot. They at first would go out there and they were looking and with someone shooting near their property and everything else, never found anything. And it wasn't until about six or eight months later they happened to mention this to the landlord. And the landlord used to live there and he actually got quite upset um, because it was his son who on that date of the month at that time had literally walked out of the house with a shotgun and blown his own head off in the dooryard. So, and so the house just keeps repeating this, like the one guy in high school who was a great pitcher and then never managed to accomplish <laughs> anything after that. Exactly. This was this guy's big thing. Um, but uh, again, there was nothing around that. It was just that one single noise. Right. Um, and so in that case, this would be seen more as one of these sort of residual style hauntings. Right. Well, I know from my own experience in my book, I came across a story uh, while researching my book, I should say, 
Did you write a book, Brad? I wrote a book, Ian. <laughs> Did you know that? No. No. What's you... it called? It's called A Strange Little Place. And where can I get it? Anywhere fine books are sold. Excellent. But anyways, so when I was researching uh, A Strange Little Place, we all anywhere fine books are sold. <laughs> Uh, I came across some stories at the courthouse. Right. And Rebel Stoke, where I grew up, has this very grand neoclassical style courthouse, which is really out of place for a town that size. But the town was once intended for much greater things that never really came to fruition. Very much like Victoria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say much like the podcasters from Rebel Stoke, but yeah. We were never intended for much of anything. But um, one of the stories I picked up was that a the night cleaning crew often hear sounds like people crying in the stairwells, right. children playing, uh, the sound of chains down in the marshalling area where the prisoners mm-hmm. used to be kept. So it's very much along the same lines, the idea of this residual, this, I guess, years upon years of experience just building up. And I actually, come to think of it, another sound they would hear was male voices talking and then a closing of a door. It's along the same lines, the idea that, uh, that again, uh, traumatic events, strong emotions, strong emotions, yeah. Are retained, and, and I guess I mean the place is there's a lot of stone in the courthouse, so you could argue that that that, that has some kind of property that yeah. is is causing this. But of course, I I have no idea what that property would be. No, I know, and uh, I know Victoria is built on a type of bedrock that actually is known to retain electrical energy better than other rocks. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a basalt bedrock apparently, and um, that combined with the energy trapping powers of salt water, you can see why Victoria is such a haunted place. Is that why all the douchebags come here and don't leave? <laughs> well, you, you showed up. <laughs> and now you die. <laughs> anyway, moving on to another kind of haunting, intelligent hauntings. These are the ones that I have certainly run into the most. They have a purpose, they have intelligence, they have emotions, and the ability to interact both positively and negatively. They're essentially post-corporeal people. I think I made up that phrase, but I like it. Right. Uh, Because they are, for all intents and purposes, they retain their personality and everything else. They may be in a heightened state of one particular emotion. Right. Because that's often one of the things that holds them here. And they're usually created by something sudden, accidental, like uh, an accident, uh, they're murdered, uh, they may die suddenly through a, a medical issue. And sometimes, and I think this is the saddest, um, people who commit suicide get trapped. Right. Uh, partly because they don't realize it worked. Um, I, I don't know how to explain that, but uh, they just... I've seen the sixth sense. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, their suicide was, I guess you could say, successful. So, yeah. And these are the ones who they will um, remain stuck with something or someone, mostly in a location. Either land or a house. But they're also, they're there for a reason. They're there because they were wronged or because uh, they loved someone and have to help them, not realizing that person may have been dead 200 years ago. Right. Sometimes they're bent on revenge. My experience has been with ghosts, the post-corporeal, that if um, they were nice people in life, they're nice people in death. Right. And if they were assholes in life... Their death seldom improves them. Right. And, and I, I think that's that's a really interesting point because I feel like the a lot of the popular wisdom is that the second someone dies, they're suddenly just purged of all their all their ills and, right. and they're only concerned with, with the good and the white light and all that other right. nonsense. It makes me grind my teeth. <laughs> but for 90% of them, that may be the case, that when they die, there is a release. Um, but for some... Apparently, they don't want to go or they don't have time to go or a lot of them do definitely seem to hang out. Right. Well, I, I, a few years ago, I, I met a shaman and it, the story behind me meeting the shaman is 
I tell it on the radio when I'm on there, and it's right. it's a long story, so we're not going to get into it now. But the short version is I met a shaman, and he told me that that spirits typically they won't stick around to look after loved ones. According to him, he said that's yeah. not how that works. You can't choose to stick around. He believed that they, if they did have unfinished business, then that was that was it was possible for them to re, to remain. And the reason this came up is a few years ago, my stepfather passed and he, he was an older guy and he died from, he died of cancer. And I want to say several months after he passed, I got a call from my sister. Now it was about 9, 30, 10 at night. It was late. Mm-hmm. And my sister seemed perturbed. So I, I of course asked what was wrong. And she said she had just stepped out on the front porch for a cigarette <laughs> and my stepfather's truck was parked out front. My mother had, you know, taken it over after yeah. he passed. And she said he was sitting there in the front seat, wearing his ball cap. And when she stepped out, he was looking out the front of the truck. He turned to look at her. They locked eyes for just a moment, and then he was gone. So she told me this, and and my sister's not one to make up stories. It's just not her her nature. Uh, But she, you know, she she had this happen. And then, uh, I want to say a few weeks later, she was laying in bed. It was nighttime. She was listening to music. The lights were out. And she assumes she fell asleep listening to music. That's That was her, her assumption. Mm-hmm. But what she saw was a shadow come up the stairs and walk into her bedroom. And when, she, when it did, she, she couldn't move. Mm-hmm. And it approached her, and all of a sudden it was right next to her. And again, it looked like it was wearing a cap. And it leaned over, and she had her music on, so she couldn't hear properly. But what she did hear was it saying, it's not what you think, it's okay. And then it was sort of over by the hallway again, and then it was in my niece's room. And then she kind of fell asleep. When she woke up, she was still in the same position, lying on her back. She had her, was listening to her music. That morning, my niece said that Papa, which is her name for, for her grandfather, that Papa had come in the night and they had played and done dishes together. And she described all these experiences. It could, of course, be a coincidence. It's interesting that it happened that night, the same night Sarah had this experience. So I asked the shaman, I described the situation to him. And I said, is it possible that he just stopped by to check in? This fellow who, he was an elderly fellow who'd been, you know, said he'd been a shaman for about 50 years. He said, that's just not how it works. He said, Mm -hmm. clearly this, this spirit feels like something is left unfinished. For me, those, these are the spirits I've run into the most. And uh, some of them are very sad and, and don't really know why they're still hanging around or that they're dead. I I, I tell you, on on that subject, when I was a teenager, our very first road trip out of town, we borrowed my, my friend's mom's minivan. And we were driving across this bridge, and we were nearly struck by an oncoming bus. It was very close. And ever since, part of me has always wondered if I died there. And, and I know that sounds ridiculous, and I don't actually believe that. But I, I will have moments where I, I shit you not, I will hear a beeping. And just this, the first thought I have is, I'm in a hospital. Right. That bus yeah. nearly killed right, me. Right, All this right. has been a dream. <laughs> and that just plays with your mind. Am I in a coma currently? That's it, right? There you go. Wouldn't that be awful if you were in a coma? This is your coma dream? Sitting in a darkened cabin with me talking about the dead? The gaseous man. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. (laughs) It's a medical condition. Other types of hauntings. We also have the poltergeist. Before we do that, I yes. Think. Do you ever notice 
you never hear stories about sexy ghosts. <laughs> no, but it, there's angry ghosts, there's sad ghosts. There's never just actually there are people. really there are on the where when I, <laughs> my friend you, wants like, to know. Yeah, and they're gonna tell you where I'm not a paranormal dating service. No, there there's a hotel in town that used to be a strip club here in Victoria, and um, oh, that's uh, that's where the Monte used to be. Right, so I think oh, it was man. called the Metropolitan that Hotel. Was quite the strip club. It recently sold. My so. friend told me about uh, yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure. And uh, but there are two stories of ghosts in there. One is in the basement, and they used to uh, send the bouncers downstairs to get the kegs of beer right. to bring them up. And uh, if they forgot to warn the new ones, they would often come up, you know, crying like little babies because they would go downstairs, they would pick up the keg, they would turn around, and blocking the stairwell would be a woman in a negligee, you know, with a little fur around it, <laughs> uh, bleached blonde hair with the dark roots. Right. And she's hanging, and she's trying to get out of the noose. And she's looking at you as if you're going to help her. I'm into it. Tell me more. <laughs> and these guys would then, of course, Almost. drop the keg and run upstairs. Right. Um, and the other one is in the same hotel, in the same room, in, in a bathroom. People would check in for their full 20 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. They would check in. Uh, they would go into the bathroom to, you know, put away their toiletries or see what free shit they're getting. But and, let's face uh, it, the kind of people who could stay in that place didn't have possessions. No, it's true. They were pretty much there for the free shampoo. They would then look up at the mirror and you would see a woman, again, um, same kind of outfit. Right. But she's not looking at you. She's looking over your shoulder and she looks absolutely terrified. And so, of course, you snap your head around to see what's behind you. There's nothing there. You look back and she's gone as well. Oof. But she would appear quite a bit. Fascinating. Yeah. That, I, you know, I never actually went into the hotel proper. I, I sort of moved here after that part had kind of... Well, I wouldn't say closed, but the, the kind of people who I saw going in there indicated yeah, to me it that... It probably should have closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I'd been to the uh, I'd been to the strip club a couple times, and uh, which I, now I don't make a habit of going to strip clubs. Sure you don't. I, I don't. I used to date a girl who was a waitress in a strip club, uh, but uh, that finished me. That ended my enthusiasm for that situation. I you know I would bring her dinner and uh, you know sit around for have a beer and for an act or two. And and <laughs> no, at the tender age of twenty two, twenty three, I was pretty much finished on strippers. <laughs> but every every now and again, some friends would drag me into into the Monty. And your story about the bathroom reminded me of this. And it, it's not supernatural at all. It's, it's just disgusting. Uh, so strap in. If, if you have kids listening, you should probably take them to the oh, next room. Oh, no. But uh, it Why was... Why do you do this? So I was there with a friend. We were walking past and it said amateur night. And we thought, oh, well, that sounds like fun. So we, we went in and uh, ordered a couple beers. And my friend, he had to use the bathroom. So he, he wandered away and he comes back a few minutes later and he said, oh, the bathroom is gross. And I thought, well, it's a bathroom in a strip club. I mean, I don't know what you're expecting. And he said, ah, oh, and like, it looked like some guy had blown snot all over the toilet. It was, I was just kind of hanging off there. Oh, no. And I said, you know, you know, that wasn't snot, right? And he, he stopped and his face just went white. <laughs> and he said, we're done here. <laughs> and we left our beers on the table and we were done. Men who uh, frequent strip clubs aren't known for being the most couth of 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 men. That that is new information. Is it? I'm okay, shocked. Good. I'm glad I could help you with that. Shocked. That was a terrible story. Don't ever repeat that. I can't promise anything. <clears throat> Please don't. Anyway, moving on. The uh, another type of haunting uh, is the poltergeist haunting, and of course, this was made incredibly popular. 
uh, by the movies uh, in the in the early eighties. But um, Poltergeist, were, which you're going to name the movie, or we just Poltergeist? Yes, thank you. Um, the movies, <laughs> kind of general. <laughs> Jesus, Last Temptation of Christ really popularized the exactly. Poltergeist. Well, no, that's more about crucifixion. Anyway, there's a movie called Poltergeist. There is no. There really is. Oh, come there on. really is. It's that called is Poltergeist. Anyhow, please. I'm glad story. you were not wasting your life. That's a good thing to hear. Poltergeist, uh, real problem. Um, often through history, uh, there were some incredibly famous uh, poltergeist problem hauntings um, in Ontario and upstate New York in the 1800s, 1700s. Um, usually, it is attached to a person. Uh, the hauntings appear around one individual. It's usually a, a, a girl, a teen girl, early teens. 13, 14, the poltergeists are all about activity. You don't see stuff. Um, you will hear things. You'll hear a lot of banging, thumping. Sounds like someone's hammering on the walls. Things will be thrown. Things will be torn apart. You may leave a room, come back in. All the cupboard doors are open. This is the sort of a the fun little poltergeist things they like to do. Uh, popular theory is the more you are freaked out by it, the stronger it becomes. And so the entity or whatever it is will try and make as much noise, as much chaos as possible. And they are not above physically hurting people. But in terms of being tied to a history or tied to a some sort of situation, that doesn't seem to be the case. Most often it just appears, it attaches to one individual. And of course, the other theory is it's all telekinesis. That, you know, you're in the throes of puberty and the uh, hormone train is rushing into the station. That um, That's graphic, please don't talk about that. <laughs> That uh, there's a lot of excess energy going on around you, and this is a manifestation of that kind of frenetic energy. A friend of mine is, he, he's told me, he, I mean, he's not a teenager anymore, I mean, perhaps mentally, but <laughs> when his sleep is troubled, his wife knows because there is a closet in their apartment that will shake. The door will wow. shake when, he, when he's having a troubled sleep. So that kind of bolsters the telekinesis theory. That's it, yeah. yeah. And, and I know there are a number of cases I've heard about which seem to really suggests that there's no entity exactly, right. uh, but that it is, it's a manifestation of something within a person. Right, right. Although, uh, interestingly, the, another theory uh, is that in Dion Fortune, uh, she was a... a Not her real name, uh, obviously. No. no. Uh, she was an <laughs> occultist from the early part of the 20th century, and in her book, Psychic Self-Defense, she describes the botched conjuring of an aerial elemental as having consequences that sound very similar to poltergeist. Oh, wow, okay. Smash dishes. Yeah. Things flying around the room. It's, it's, just, it's very similar. Hmm. It makes you wonder if, if there's some kind of connection there. If there's, again, I mean, who knows? We're, we're talking about complete speculation here. But just the idea that there is uh, some kind of natural entity that's never been human which is either maybe feeding on these people, or maybe it, this is a separate thing entirely. Yeah, you yeah. Know, but well, does that tie into that theory we talked about with Slenderman? Um, the Buddhist theory, what oh, was the that tulpa. called? Tulpa. Does that kind of connect to that in any way? Like it's a conjured energy or a focused energy? No, because the, the tulpa is, is essentially a nonsense word made up by morons right. to explain things that <laughs> Do they... Do you have an opinion about this in any way? I try not to judge. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but, and actually, the first time I heard the word tulpa, and this may have colored my, my appreciation of the word, I was at a poetry slam night. Oh, there's your first mistake. <laughs> I know. I know. This guy went up there, and he did a poem about creating a tulpa of porn star Sasha Gray. <laughs> and how they would... I don't want to use the word, we'll say pork. <laughs> Very classy. <laughs> I thought so. 
make pork. Right. Yeah. Gently like, make pork yeah. across the galaxy until they were. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I've already spent too much time on this, but but yeah. So th this was the first time I heard the word tulpa. I didn't know what the hell a tulpa was. I went home, Googled, and I thought, okay, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And then when I started getting into paranormal things, I started seeing it applied to other things. And I thought, no, this is this is horseshit. Well, and, and they've said that it's probably a misinterpretation. Right, right, so, right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, no, I, I don't think this is that necessarily. I think if we're going to go along the the suggestion that these things are real, that, that some, someone tried to conjure an air elemental and they made a mistake in the ritual, that they were unable to conjure an entity they could control, then maybe there are elemental spirits, right. you know, but or, or I say elemental spirits. I mean, that's what we call them. Who knows what they really are, right. but some kind of natural force that gets loose. Well, and that ties in well to the non-human sort of section of our, of our discussion. We've got things like elementals, which I had not heard of before. I was working with someone who she's a medium and she's, really good like she actually knows what she's doing and she's uh, shown me a lot of stuff and she talked about elementals and how they were never people they've always been this raw energy that sometimes they're 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 conjured up to be guardians of a location um the first nations people uh know about them um didn't work out very well for them <laughs> shadow people i don't know what shadow people are shadow right. people freak me out because i don't know what they are that's racist <laughs> hashtag shadow lives matter stop it um Shadow people, I don't have a lot of experience with them. And so I have never really had to confront that. So I'm not really sure what those are. Um, and then the other, kind of the more, the most colorful world I can come up with. Traditional spirits like goblins, leprechauns, fairies, folklore creatures. I have run into people who very fiercely believe in those. That those are absolutely real and, and, and living in the back garden. Actually, it reminds me. I, I was in Egypt years ago. And I was, I was going through a temple somewhere, and I heard in the distance a guide from one of the tour groups that was there telling the history of, of the belief system. Yeah. The guide said something to the effect of, the Egyptians believe that this goddess swallowed the sun at night and birthed it every morning. And these two American women ahead of me said, well, that's ridiculous. Who would believe that? And I said, I know, right? That's that's even stupider than the idea than the, of the virgin wife of a carpenter giving birth to the son of God. What a stupid idea that is. <laughs> and, and how did they take that? Not well. No, really. No, I get what you're saying. But there are people who, who for sure believe in what I would call folklore creatures. And then the other one that kind of sticks out, especially for us in Canada, the idea of the Wendigo. The Wendigo was said to come and, and snatch children. But it was also said the Wendigo could possess people. And that is how they would explain things like murder and cannibalism and all the rest. Right. And we're actually going to be doing a full episode about the, the idea of the Wendigo. Uh, right. Vincent Lee, who murdered that fellow on the Greyhound back in 2008. And took his head off. Yeah. Cut his head off Not and ate part of his body. No. He's, of course, he's been released recently. Lee was diagnosed as schizophrenic and, you know, he, he believed aliens told him to to chop off this poor bugger's head there is a documentary called heart of ice in which a researcher proposes the idea that lee himself because of his schizophrenia was weakened enough psychologically to be vulnerable to the spirit of wendigo in, in an upcoming episode we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that so the last haunting is the demonic and and talking about demons are evil essentially in, in christian lore there's you've got angels and you've got demons and, and demons are out there to get whatever they can to corrupt God's creation, which is human beings. This was made quite popular by a movie called The Exorcist, and it really did bring in demonic possession into a more wider audience than right. just Roman Catholics. And this is something I've very, very, very rarely seen. I did see it one time. 
where I went, there's no way this could be happening. There's no way this is mental illness. I was in a, a band, which we won't talk about, and we were doing a concert in a prison. All of our songs, mostly all of our songs were original. We didn't take music with us. We did everything just memorized. And this young man had been brought in. He was sitting in the front row. And we probably did 90 minutes worth of music. He knew every word of every song. He sang along with us. To original music. To original music. One of them was a song I had written three weeks earlier. And he sang with us, smiling and looking at us the whole time. So that afterwards, we sat down and our band leader went and and sat with him and (laughs) kind of ushered me over. And I sat down the other side of him and he was quite open about his friends who live in him. Um, And that is how he knows things. That's how he knew all the music. His friends told him the words. That wasn't a mental illness. Right. There was something much stranger and darker going along. She began to pray for him and um, he would acknowledge and, and, and agree with what she was saying in his own voice. And then a much darker, lower, frankly, terrifying voice was saying horrible things. And uh, so it was, it was really upsetting. I was 19 at the time. I was not okay with this. Eventually she stopped the prayers and she said to him, do you want these things to be out of you? And he looked at her with complete sincerity and said, of course not, because they tell me who I can trust and who's going to be good to me and who's not. So that very much freaked me out. It uh, made me a believer. It, it, It made me have a lot more respect for a lot of this stuff than I might have had before. Because you can't explain it. Fair enough. I, I mean, w- now when you say demonic, do you think these things operate or originate in the Christian framework? Do you think we're talking about T-H-E devil? No. Or, or these are entities which, again, could be you know, part of the natural world, could be some kind right. of elemental that just mean to do us harm. Right. And I think that's more likely. I think demons, I don't know. I, I think if there is going to be a source of something that craves the human existence um, or somehow wants to be in control and interact with our world or our spiritual plane, then yeah, that's that's what they are. A while back, uh, Nikki and I watched the documentary Hostage to the Devil, which is about the Jesuit priest Malachi Martin. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. He wrote a book after The Exorcist really blew up, uh, being that he was a grumpy Catholic priest, (laughs) he wrote the book Hostage to the Devil, which was his account of allegedly being involved in exorcism. Of course, Martin's a pretty controversial figure, and some people don't believe a lot of what he said was true. Uh, I know in the documentary, he's described by his friends as being very pious and very true to his vows, whereas another guy said, no, he he boned my wife. (laughs) A bit of a divergent there. (laughs) Yeah, but in, in Hostage to the Devil, he describes some of the requirements for exorcism as or so some of the things that allow the demonic spirits to enter as being well basically anything that was fun so <laughs> yoga one guy believed he could move things with his mind mm-hmm. and this was of course satan moving things for him and then i, I guess he snuck up his butthole and and, and took him over so I, I i don't know again i i think i tend to, i tend to believe the same as you that they're not part of some kind of Judeo, the judeo-christian framework but they are malevolent spirits which just 
for whatever reason, want to to mess with people and, and cause misery. Mm. Well, I, I think we we sort of reached the end of our our our, our discussion as far mm. as the various types of ghosts go. I want to thank everyone for sticking with us to the end uh, through our various digressions. That's really a wrap for episode three. We're going to be coming back to you in two weeks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, getting into individual stories and and talking more about the ghosts now that we've sort of established what they are. Thanks for listening, folks. Of course, we're the Ghost Story Guys. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at uh, at Ghost Story Guys. You can. If you have stories you want us to talk about on air, we'd love to hear them. Write us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. I want to say a big thanks to Pizzanta Music for both our intro and bumper music. You can find them on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Music. We'll have the information in our show notes as well. I, am I missing anything? Oh, our website, ghoststoryguys. Right, yes, ghoststoryguys.com. Where you can order your book. And yes, my book, <laughs> A Strange Little Place, Hauntings and Unexplained Events of One Small Town, available from Llewellyn Worldwide, anywhere fine books are sold. And I have a book too. He does. It's going to be coming out end of April. Victoria's Most Haunted, 30 True Ghost Stories of Victoria's Capital City. And that's coming from Bad Touch Publications. No, don't <laughs> call them that. Touchwood, they're awesome. <laughs> from Morningwood Publications. <laughs> Never getting published again. <laughs> oh, what were we talking about? <laughs> My book. <laughs> That's probably why you went off. Uh, so no, you can find Ian's book, Victoria's Most Haunted, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, really everywhere fine books are sold. It's available for pre-order now, and it does not suck. <laughs> thank you so much. You're too kind. <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you very much for listening. We look forward to coming back to you again in two weeks. And until then, take care, be good to one another, and uh, remember, life's short, eat dessert first. <laughs> <laughs>